edge of the universe when the future is in peril. We've got Cardassians on our back doorstep. One man faces an impossible mission. I will do the job I've been ordered to do, sir. To protect a defenseless space station. I don't believe the Federation has any business being here. Command an untested crew. And to relive a deadly encounter. You will disarm your weapons. Next time on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Welcome to Strange New Takes. I'm your host, Dodge Karnick, and with me, about to go through a wormhole to the Gamma Quadrant, are... Diana McPhail. Max. Emily Bowen-Marler. And Rudy Cusbaker. So, we are Strange New Takes. We are your new favorite Star Trek podcast. You may have, This may be the first time you've ever heard us. We're still your new favorite. Welcome. We are t- gonna do a lot of other Star Trek things, but right now we're in the middle, or the end, or we're somewhere in the pilot series. We're watching the pilot episode of every single Star Trek series, and chatting about it, and then rating it. Yep, the middle, the end. Time is linear for us, but maybe <laughs> not for other species. <laughs> um, yeah, so today we are super excited to bring you our strange new takes for the latest um, pilot, which is DS9 Emissary and gauge each other's power. And please be sure to follow us on social media at Strange New Takes. You can find us in all the usual places, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're there. And be sure to tell your friends about us. We want more people to listen to our podcast. Um, One of the ways we can help get more people to listen to us is if you go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. Um, Those kind of help populate some of the lists in lots of different places. And we'll also read your five-star review of us on the podcast. And if you are a time traveler from 1993 and you haven't watched DS9's <laughs> Emissary, just be warned that we're going to spoil it for you. So that cool new show, Star Trek show that you're going to watch on, I forget, was it UPN at that time? I can't remember. UPN anyway. 38, <laughs> baby. Oh, yeah. uh, just, just know that you will, you will have heard us describe this episode and many other things in Star Trek. So just be warned, here be spoilers. All right, with that. Let us jump in, as we do every week, with our strange new takes first. I have gripped the strange new takes list with my tractor beam and (laughs) placed myself up top because I want to talk just very briefly about how the human body has no idea what it's doing when it's moving fast. I take golf lessons. That's something I do. And my golf coach said he talked to a neurologist about how many things the human mind can keep in its mind for about... The, the brain can keep in mind for about the one and a half seconds a golf club swing. And he said like three things. So imagine how many things are happening in a golf swing or in a football being thrown or whatever, you know, cutting your lawn or walking, how many different body parts have to move in how many different directions. And if you can just think of those three of those things at one time, you know, your body really doesn't know what it's doing. Like consciously, it's just acting. Isn't that scary? It's scary to me. <laughs> Anyway, strange new takes on uh, The Emissary. This is the first of our pilots that has inspired me to watch more of the show. In fact, after this one ended, I went and watched What We Left Behind, the documentary. 
I recommend it. Uh, I watched a whole bunch, like six episodes of DS9 as well after that, because I just couldn't stop. Wow. So wow, I think Jesus. for me, that speaks to a little bit about uh, the quality of this pilot. Uh, and I'll just spoil my rating by saying that, that this made me, even now, after having watched that entire series at least once, go back and watch a whole bunch of DS9 again, because I enjoyed it so much. His ending rating is going to be a two out of 10, just heads up. It's going to be, it's going to be a wild ride. It's going to be a twist and turn. All right. I don't think I can match that, but um, quick connect back from my strange take from last week. Um, Ingenuity, the helicopter that's supposed to fly on Mars was supposed to fly tonight. It's been moved out a couple of days, but again, a big first for um, space flight, not so much place flight, but flight on another planet. Uh, if it works out well, when they redo the Enterprise intro, we can squeeze that helicopter in there, right? The first of many. Um, and I did not watch as many episodes as Notch did, um, but I will connect a strange, my Star Trek Strange New State take for this episode, actually with the series. I have been um, trying to do something I'm calling Project Restart of my own here in terms of growing my garden again, and I am starting with tomatoes, and I remember uh, good old Eddington and his um, blight <laughs> or his difficulties with tomatoes, and they are super hard to grow, so... Uh, let's see how my my year goes. Hopefully, better than Eddington's. I, you <laughs> know, I want I want to say by the way, in terms of the Ingenuity helicopter, if the social media manager at NASA doesn't splice just a shot of the helicopter going from left to right with like the Vietnam Huey sound, foop, 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 and <laughs> this is the end. My beautiful. Friend. I don't like, think he's doors. allowed to do that. I think that's maybe not okay. <laughs> also, this is like three thousand. RPM per second, so it's like super fast because the the Mar the Mars um, atmosphere is way thinner than Earth, so it needs to go. So it'll be like, no, nah. like me. Okay. <laughs> okay, enough of geeking out there. Sorry. Okay, let's see. My strange new take. Um, I took my flat iron to work with me on Thursday because it was wet outside, and I was going to do a video recording, so I was going to have to fix my hair. Well, now I can't find it. No. <laughs> and so I had to use like a cheap travel one that I have. And oh boy. Yeah. Let me just tell you, if you need to use a flat iron, quality matters. just put, you just need to invest and put the big bucks down for your flat iron because, oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, it was, well, uh, you all listeners, you can't see me, but my co-host can see that my hair is most decidedly not flat. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it is not straight. So Yeah. Um, so yeah, buy yourselves a good, high quality flat iron, folks. Um, my strange new take for Deep Space Nine. I don't know that I've ever cried in the first five minutes of this episode, and I've seen it a lot of times. And I was I, I work out while I watch these, yes. so I was on the treadmill and I'm vo doing voice to text into my phone as I'm taking notes, and my voice is breaking up because Aww. I'm crying during the opening <laughs> scene, and I just I don't know what it was about it, but I was just feeling it with Cisco. I mean, when they're dragging him away from his wife and he's screaming, and he finds his kid in the rubble, and someone else hands his kid. I'm just like, oh my god, I can't handle this. Like, yeah. So hey, that that. 
you know, I'm going to say this almost made it tie for the first five minutes of Star Trek 2009. Yeah, I was wondering, like, how did that? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Every time exactly. I see that, I cry. Yeah. And I thought, yeah, good on you, Deep Space Nine. So, anyway. <laughs> Y'all didn't cry while Pike was talking to the doctor about his feelings about all those dead people in the cage. I felt that a lot. I felt that really <laughs> deeply within my soul, so. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Um, I will jump in here. My My strange new take is going to... Uh, connect back to our conversation around Wesley Crusher last <laughs> week. And um, after watching this episode and seeing uh, Jake Sisko and sort of his, uh, you can't see the, the quotes that I'm putting in the air here, but uh, acting credentials, I I got to say that like Wesley is, is way better than Jake. I think we owe Wesley an apology. The guy Aww. who plays Jake cannot act. And... Uh, Oh, I don't know. Oh. I, I don't know about him. <laughs> well, have some you of seen all of Deep Space Nine? Oh yeah, we have. We we have. So it's, okay. it's he, he gets yeah. better. He gets better yeah. over time, and like yeah, he is like I don't know, like some of us owe Wesley now, an apology. But... Others maybe don't. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Other people who like Wesley punched in the face personally, I think. He no, no, I'm all, I'm all for Wesley. I'm saying that I was supporting him last time as well. Yeah. So. Oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so um, for once in my life, I have a real world strange new take that's actually prepared. And like, as most things happen, like, it, t- it comes down to me teaching. So it's like a, a pro tip for, for parents out there in the world. Um, if you have to go to one conference in the fall or in the spring, I'll go to the, the fall ones. And then you, just, you should know that it's totally okay and kosher and actually really, really nice to just contact the teacher or teachers in the spring and be like, hey... I'd love to talk to you if you have anything if you have anything to talk about, but I also don't want to take up your time. So, like, do we need to meet? It's actually totally allowed. You are not a bad parent if you don't jump to schedule a spring conference. If you don't need to, do something else with your time, and that's totally okay. So just as a for the parents out there, the, the, the parent corner of our audience, whoever you are, you are allowed to not sign up for spring conferences, and no one will think you're a bad parent. Just check in, see if anything needs to happen. That's my that's my pro tip for you. Um, if, if you can tell, I just came off of spring conferences and it was a lot. It was a couple of days of just having like 10 minute speed dating conversations with parents. Where it's like, great. How are you? Awesome. OK. And then like getting into everything. So you don't have to have that happen at existence if you don't want that um, for this episode. I'm going to be that guy who oh, contradicts everything. Not everything. I will say that there's some things I love about this episode that I really did like, but Given where I know Deep Space Nine is going, because I do full wholeheartedly love Deep Space Nine. So I just want to put that out there as like a foundational layer. Like that's the peanut butter on the toast right here. I'm going to put on the really sad, salty jam in a second. Um, This is not a great pilot for this show, for how, for what it turns into. There's a lot that's set up here that is like the weakest parts of Deep Space Nine. And the things that are set up here that are the stronger parts of Deep Space Nine are like the side plots or like the the little, it's not, it didn't, it didn't do it for me. And it was a little bit of like how not to introduce characters and how not to do exposition that made me a little sad because I loved Deep Space Nine and what it becomes. So like, that's where I am. I, I would not have signed up for four more hours of Deep Space Nine after this pilot because this pilot already felt super long to me. So not my fave. I gotta tell you, not my fave. Interesting yeah. battle lines drawn. They're drawn. We're doing it. We're going or we're going to have our opinions. <laughs> we're all out to one good. Good. Yeah. Uh, So let's let's jump into in-depth episode discussion. I think we are we are at a pretty significant moment in our discussion of the pilots. You know, with Next Generation, it came 
something like 20 or so years, just about after the first pilots of the original series. And of course, the animated series wasn't mm -hmm. really a pilot. It was just a continuation of the fire missions. So the next generation was the first real big change, right? Like the first real new, like completely different world that Star Trek jumped into. I think if I was to do that, I would have found a little bit more leeway because I was, we were only being compared to the original. With mm -hmm. now, with every new series, there's going to be more and more stuff in the canon. Yeah. Uh, and I mean that more loosely, like just mm -hmm. in the public perception of Star Trek that each series is going to be judged against. So I think mm -hmm. it's important for us to discuss how the series came together and what the producers wanted to do to differentiate mm -hmm. itself. It's from the others. Because with Next Generation, differentiating it from the first one was easy. It's not right. the first one. Mm -hmm. But now we have a completely new approach. And this this show was conceived of in 1991, which I think, I'm trying to remember when TNG uh, started, how many seasons of TNG had happened already? Eight, seven, five? seven, seven already? I think seven? it started in 87. So. 87, yeah. so it was like four, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think I think I read that they were working on it in the high, the script for this in the hiatus of this, after TNG season five. So, one of the main things to start us off is that they wanted to create a show that was on a space station. You, and there was this feeling that you can't create two spaceships that are going off where no one has gone before, <laughs> you know, having Fair. kind of this episodic <laughs> content at the same time. So you had to have just one uh, spaceship and one stationary. And that mm -hmm. changed the whole dynamic of the show because suddenly, uh, I would argue that even on the spaceship this happens, but on the on the space station for sure, the characters have gone to run away from the consequences of their action. Janeway can like mm -hmm. violate the prime director and be like, see, we're 10,000 light years away mm -hmm. yeah. next week. Um, but Cisco can't do that. He's at Deep Space Nine again the next week. So that lent itself to a lot of serialization. Totally. And that was that was built into the 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 fabric of this show. I think what's interesting is I'm thinking about like the the seasons of TNG that this showed up around, like in the 91, 1991, and Obviously, TNG was much more episodic than Deep Space Nine, um, but there was a time, there was a little bit of a shift where TNG was kind of episodic and only episodic, and then it started being slightly more serialized, and I think that kind of that kind of gave way to the ability in, on Deep Space Nine to just do a much more serialized show. And not every episode in Deep Space Nine is part of this, like, one hard-hitting, tightly wound <laughs> series. Like, you know, like, for the five series, like The Sopranos or whatever. But it does, they all do, the con not just right, that the consequences do live on with the characters, even in, like, a small way. And so I think that's pretty cool. And ultimately, I think we see the, we see the result of that toward the end of this show, mm -hmm. where everyone everybody has been through a lot together. And we see that in the way that they talk to each other. So I think there's a huge pay payoff toward the end of this season, of this show in how serialized it is and how much th what other people do affects each other and how that can give rise to real to actual real character development, which doesn't always happen on episodic shows. Did um, did anyone watch this when it like when did it release? Ninety three, sometime early ninety mm -hmm, three. Mm -hmm. Did anybody watch it exactly at that time? I over think here? so. Maybe because. I just checked and Babylon 5 released like literally a month after. Or Dude, I was five, literally so. thinking the same thing. So Thank you, okay. Yeah. So, yeah, so, so <laughs> it's interesting for people who saw it, saw both of them coming in at the same time. Um, I, I, I can't even imagine because I saw Babylon 5 after I saw every other Star Trek. Um, 
and and so but there were so many similarities i've still never seen babylon 5 it's so oh, good it's actually so it's good. on um it's on hbo max now so if you guys do want to watch babylon 5 and you don't want to buy the dvds I can hook you up with HBO Max. It's fine. Oh, I'm sorry. Alexa just went off behind us for no reason. <laughs> that was Alexa. That was Alexa. She's like, I, I, I don't opinion. know, but I'll, I'll tell you things that I know. We're like, I, don't, I didn't ask for your opinion. So that's why Max was like shocked. Well, while we're off on this tangent talking about other shows, is Andromeda worth watching? You know, yeah. I wouldn't say that I loved it the way that I love Babylon 5. I just watched Babylon 5 for the first time. Max was like, we need to watch it. And it's incredible. And Andromeda is like, good. But I wouldn't say it's like... Yeah, there's Mighty. episodes that really dip low in Andromeda, I think, that so in that sense. But it's got that dark matter kind of feel as well, mm-hmm. a little bit, like a bunch of people waking up after a long time and some remember, but, you know, mm-hmm. trying to find out what's going on with the galaxy or whatever. So. Okay. Yeah. Also, Kevin Sorbo's a huge D-bag now, so i watching it on TV. <laughs> maybe is isn't the best. Um, something I hadn't personally noticed until it was pointed out to me is that Deep Space Nine is a Western, and mm. I had no clue. I think that's interesting. Well, I think if you think about like Firefly, which is a natural like result of all the Star Trek stuff of like, you know, the, the idea of like seeking out, the going into this frontier or whatever. Like Firefly obviously draws that. Like this is a Western, and it's also in space. And I think you like to every other degree, it's it makes sense. Even that like the original series is kind of that Western because that's like the era of like John Wayne being super popular. Mm-hmm. And like, what is um who is Captain Kirk? But kind of a John Wayne character, but like a sciencey John Wayne character. Is there is there a Akira Kurosawa connect here now in terms of oh my God, seven so. characters? Yes. And has somebody Ooh. done that before? Ooh. Well, they have an actual episode that the Magnificent Ferengi that yes. totally is a that is takeoff on that. I yeah, but which is a great episode, by the way. But um, but you know, it's funny. I didn't think about it being a western until I'm reading this in our mm-hmm. notes about um, you know, the different characters: the country doctor, the barkeep, the mm-hmm. sheriff, the mayor. Um, the common man with Miles O'Brien, Native American with Kira. And it's funny, I didn't even think about that. But obviously you have, they they lay the seeds in that Mm -hmm. in the first, you know. So um, Cisco makes a point of saying like, the reason we have a a Bajoran national as the first officer is because I requested, you know, I felt Mm like it was necessary for us to have Bajoran influence and presence on the station Mm -hmm. in command. Um, And and you have Bashir talking about, you know, being (laughs) frontier medicine, you know, and and Kira being a little pissed off at him about that, you know, like, oh, well, the natives, you know. Um, But but yeah, it's funny. I just I never thought about it. But as I see, I'm like, oh, yeah, clearly (laughs) that's how it was intended. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, The other the other thing that I think changed. No, I think I know changed um, in this was pointed out in the. Uh, what we left behind documentary mm-hmm. which again i i strongly recommend because they have a lot about how the show was conceived and i'm going to mm-hmm. be referring back to it a bit as we go through today's um pod the this show was also designed to have a different aesthetic a more darker sinister mm-hmm. aesthetic that was um dark and shadowy and that brought it into conflict with a lot of like star trek fans up to that point also worth mentioning at this point that rick berman and mick michael pillar came up with the show gene roddenberry had had some like Mm -hmm. very initial input but his health failed pretty much while the show was in its actual production so um a lot of people nine killed him yeah no it did (laughs) sorry 
I I was gonna say like I'm not sure that's true, but sorry. But but a lot of people felt betrayed by that darker, more sinister approach, mm-hmm. and I, I wonder if y'all chafed against that at all uh, back when y'all first watched it, or if you were just like, yeah, this is cool. I think when I was yeah, go ahead, Max. I, yeah. Well, I mean, I'll just say I I did not. I, I think in general, mm-hmm. I I mean, I love sort of the classic, very hopeful, sort of optimistic Star Trek. I do really enjoy mm-hmm. that, um, but I I enjoy kind of darker shows and and movies and stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like you know, in hindsight, this was very forward thinking. Mm-hmm. If you kind of think about the direction that TV in general has gone, mm-hmm. um, this is much more in line with something like you know Battlestar Galactica. Obviously, I think really yeah, took yeah. it that direction, and I think we've only continued to move mm-hmm. that way um, since this came out. I think for me, I kind of accepted it as it was. I was pretty young when I was watching it for the first time, and like now that I'm an adult, I've seen a lot of like the the darker sci-fi shows and so like i know it's it's totally different obviously from tng which is totally different from tos but it's not to the, to the extent where i'm like this isn't star trek which i think a lot of people who really get up in arms about tonal shifts between series which i think makes sense because you're otherwise you're just making like seven series of the same basic thing and the same basic principle people get upset like this isn't star trek like the star trek that they've conceived of but like I gotta say that there's there's more to every like any kind of story or any kind of world than just what one person did this one time. You're saying the tonal shifts make sense, right? Not the criticism. Yeah. No, the to- so tonal shifts make sense. The criticism yeah. doesn't really hold a lot of water. Thank you for very clarifying that. I remember so I didn't see Deep Space Nine until I started watching it. I think I want to say it was season seven, mm. something like that. Um, but maybe not. It might have been season six, towards the end of season six. But um, and it was because I went to Star Trek: The Experience. Oh yeah, um, in Las Vegas. <laughs> Hell yeah, and it's so like jealous. the promenade. Oh, oh my gosh, I'm so sad. Wait, wait, what happens anymore. in Vegas stays in Vegas. I know. <laughs> no, 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 unless it's Star Trek, in which we talk. Yeah, yeah about it's Star Trek. <laughs> but like, I mean, it had the promenade, and it had, and I was like, I need to go familiarize myself with the show because I really, I went straight from TNG into Voyager, and mm. I just didn't, I, I, you know, it just made sense. So I kind of filled the TNG gap with. Voyager and then didn't watch Deep Space Nine but then when I went was on the promenade in you know the Las Vegas Hilton in Vegas I was like well I need to watch Deep Space Nine um but I never I didn't none of that bumped up against Mm -hmm. me I didn't bump up against that in Deep Space Nine I did in Discovery but not Mm -hmm. to the point that I was like this isn't my Star Trek I'm not gonna watch it because that's not the kind of Star Trek fan I am I love all Star Trek also, I love it all. Like, I don't right. care. I'm going to go watch every iteration of Star Trek. Right. And I'm going to love some aspect of all of them. Yeah. Um, but but Discovery was one that was hard for me because I could tell the captain was not good. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, I and it just was this really uneasy, unsettling thing that I was like, I don't think he's a good guy. I think there's something <laughs> going on. And I couldn't yeah. quite put my finger on it. And mm-hmm. I turned out to be right. But But, you know, it was one of those... But like th- that's not the feeling you get in Deep Space Nine. Like you don't feel mm-hmm. like anyway. So I, like mm-hmm. the, at the heart, the characters are really grappling with those big questions. Mm-hmm. And anyway, so I think yeah, the way and, you described Lorca right now is probably the same way that the writers of Discovery described Lorca because I don't think they had any idea why he was bad either. But anyway, Rudy, he's just uh, bad. Because... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm gonna call it the. Admiral Vance effect where nobody knows what's going on, but they're always doubting him, poor guy, (laughs) (laughs) through Discovery. Going back to the dark side of Deep Space Nine, I have a very interesting and different perspective. I also saw uh, TNG, then I dabbled a little bit with TOS, then went to Voyager, and then saw 
um, DS9, maybe actually watched a little bit of Enterprise as well, then saw DS9. And honestly, it's the first time I felt that the Federation was portrayed as, you know, the big good guys, but then also the big good guys that mm. don't necessarily do good or understand that they're mm. not doing good every time, right? And in terms of me growing up and, and the world, the way it was set up as an Indian, um, I had a very external perspective on the West, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, quote unquote, good guys. I just want to be absolutely clear. You're talking about India because there are some people who use the, the term Indian to refer to Native Americans, which we've yes, talked yes, about yes. just a second ago. So I just yes. want to be clear. Yes, yes. East uh, East Indians. if South Indians. Sense. Well, okay, South Asians. <laughs> From the country of India. Yes, yes, the, the subcontinent below the Himalayan range. Yeah. The place where we all name things like Bob and Stephen <laughs> and Bob <laughs> according to Star Trek. So it, that Bajoran point of view, which, which continued episode to episode, mm-hmm. season to season, was actually something mm-hmm. I could kind of associate with, right? Mm-hmm. Um I mean, India was not as badly off as Bajor, but it was it was good to see that continuing. And, and the first time I saw that reflected elsewhere was Archer feeling oppressed by the Vulcans in Enterprise, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I've never seen that anywhere else. Everywhere mm-hmm. else, the Federation's been the big good guys, whether you're 70,000 light years away from them or whether Picard's, you know, flying that flag uh, every week. So I thought yeah. it wasn't so dark for me, but it was just an interesting different perspective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm-hmm. The um, one, another piece of the production of the show was that it was built to create interpersonal conflicts. And the characters were written in a way that was also going to uh, build some of those up. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, you know, we have a bunch of stuff about the characters and the way they were conceived in the notes. If there's one that you all want to talk about, you certainly can. The one thing that we have to, I think, talk about right at the top is the choice to have the captain be black. Um, mm-hmm. And... And it was, they picked the right guy for the job. Avery Brooks was coming off a show called Hawk at the time. The thing that I think surprised and disappointed me when I when I watched the DS9 documentary was that the, the fact that they had changed his appearance. Avery Brooks himself had a goatee and a bald head when he, just in his normal everyday life. And that's the character he portrayed on Hawk. But when they brought him to DS9, and this is, a these are the, the, the word that the, this is I'm paraphrasing from the guy, the former Paramount executive that they interviewed in that documentary. They said that basically they wanted him to have hair and lose the goatee so that he wouldn't be too quote unquote street. Um, yeah, mm. yeah, yeah so, and so, but then Iris Stephen Bear said that essentially the next few seasons was him trying to convince Avery Brooks to get rid of the hair, grow the goatee back, to to become what's and he finally succeeded. I think it was the the fourth season okay. uh, where that switch occurs. So. <clears throat> I think again we gotta we gotta make the point that while the show was progressive for its time, it was a very like especially having a single black father taking mm-hmm. care of his kid in in a visual place on TV. So they're not portraying the single parent as a as a negative thing, which it frequently mm-hmm. was in the popular culture of the time. Um, we should also appreciate that the, 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 the we're still operating from a place of bias in some ways that, that uh, as well. Totally. Was he the you first... mean you can make decisions to show that you're not racist but still be, be racist? What? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was he the was he the first non-white um, lead like even from a Starfleet rank yeah. standpoint, continuing mm-hmm. rank like commander before he gets promoted? Um, anybody of of 
um, you know. Do you mean like, like main character have... wise? Because uh, definitely main character wise. Like yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, they so ha- in general, not even just black, but just across the board. We have seen non-white captains in, um, I think in Star Trek Four. Or so we There's we the, have uh, seen yeah the admiral the short in, appearance in right. too well the, mm-hmm. the guy yeah. who, who was in the Wrath of Khan the captain of mm-hmm. the um, yeah Reliant. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yep. I, th- I think there's, I think there's a captain. I don't, I can't remember. Anyway, but I feel like there was some uh, shown, like one of the, one of the ships that was having a, had a distress call because of mm-hmm. the probe that came over. I feel like that ship was a non-white. Yeah, but non- but to be to be centered to be centered as the main right. character in it, yeah, sure. definitely, yeah, yeah, definitely. That's a, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and a point I'll make in this thing again, which is made in the documentary. I mentioned i was going to quote that a lot today this <laughs> this show right this show frequently had scenes where there were only black black characters on tv while mm-hmm. you had had black lead characters mm-hmm. show ca- show running characters on other tv shows there still wasn't a lot of places on american tv where you could just see black characters on tv and that's on, on the mm-hmm. screen at one time and that's it and also like this having fun and it. having a good like fa- stable family relationship but i think a lot of like TV shows that were centered around like black characters at that point were like, let's show a lot of black trauma and not like, let's show a, a you know, functional, loving family who's just sitting around eating dinner and giving each other shit. You know, I think that's, that's important. Well, and I know a lot of the, um, the way that uh, Cisco as a father was portrayed. I mean, that was Avery Brooks. Like he was mm-hmm. so adamant that that be central to his character. And totally. you can... I mean, they, it was very clear throughout the pilot. Like they established that Mm -hmm. he was going to be a dedicated father and be there for, Mm -hmm. you know, be there for his son and, and his, um, son came before his career, you know, Mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. So they just, they showed that really well, I thought. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to, I just want to make sure that I wasn't interrupting, but if you wanted to make a final point, but I I was going to move on to a different character. Okay. Um, okay. Okay. Go for it. So I want to talk about writing, but that's because I always want to talk about writing. So you want to talk about the other character? You go for we'll, it. We'll man. get there. We'll get there. Okay. I, well, I, do we want? I have more stuff to say about Cisco, but we could talk about it later. I don't know. If... Sure, go ahead. Well, I just I noticed that, um, like, so Cisco or Cisco, uh, Avery Brooks. Um, I I feel like they did such. They just did so much with his character. I I didn't like Picard really in the p- pilot for Next Generation. Like, and I love Picard, mm-hmm. but my love for Picard was not based upon what we, they showed us in the pilot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What they showed us in the pilot for Deep Space Nine, like, I wanted to find out about this man's journey. You know, I wanted to learn more about him. I was mm-hmm. I was really compelled by the character mm-hmm. that they created for this pilot. You know, and I thought, I want to I know his story. I, I felt like he showed he was a good commander. Um he was able to make uh, difficult decisions. I liked the way he included, like he didn't, Kira's really confrontational in the first few scenes, but like yeah. that wasn't, and and I will, uh, we could talk about Kira in a bit. But anyway, <laughs> uh, she's really confrontational in the opening scenes, but he's like, like, like it's not, he doesn't get bothered by it, you know? Like I feel like he just, he came across as, a person who has an understanding of other people. He seemed really knowledgeable of other, um, other cultures. And just, so I, I just appreciated that. Like the way he interacted with, uh, Quark, you know, like he knew how to make things, uh, go the way he wanted with Mm -hmm. Quark. He knew how to interact with Kira. He knew how to, um, I, I don't know. I just, I thought that was, that was really well done. And I also appreciated, 
um, as an actor, Avery Brooks, the, the difference in how he is in the scenes, I'm jumping ahead, but how he is in the <laughs> scenes in the um, Celestial Temple when he is uh, with the prophets and they're reliving his memories. Mm-hmm. And the scenes where he's watching him relive the memories, like it was just so poignant. Mm. Um, and, and the look on his face when he's looking at Jennifer, actually Jennifer, and the look on his face when he's talking to the prophet Jennifer. Um, I don't know. It just they just gave him so much depth, I felt, in this in this pilot. I well, let's re- return to that in a little bit. I do want us <laughs> to keep moving because we got to take a break yeah. in a second. So yeah. okay. Uh, okay. sorry, sorry to interrupt. But um, I wanted to mention you. you uh, Emily, you mentioned Kira briefly. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things maybe you, dear listener, know is that they wanted Lo- this character to be Roland, Michelle Forbes' character mm-hmm. from TNG, who mm-hmm. introduced the whole Bajoran conflict. Like, they wanted Ro to come back. Michelle Forbes said, I don't want to get tied down to a series. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, what happens then is that they rewrote the character. So this isn't just uh, mm-hmm. Roland with like a layer of... Um, uh, wallpaper on top this is a different mm-hmm. character they rewrote the pilot when michelle forbes said no mm-hmm. but one of the things that i think is super important again they talk about this in the documentary <laughs> is that they have a sympathetic terrorist explicitly mm-hmm. a terrorist hmm. as yeah. one of our main characters mm-hmm. on screen mm-hmm. and i think it's it's something that we should acknowledge that if this show had been created in 2002 yeah mm-hmm. we might not have mm-hmm. got that totally mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think Rudy kind of mentioned this before, but the idea of like Starfleet not being the end all be all of everything that is good. And like people within Starfleet and within the Federation are like, yeah, this is great. Everyone should kind of want to be like part of our party. And having like, you know, the, the Bajorans and the Cardassians, obviously, and then the Ferengi, who are, you know, really big people, really big uh, influences on this series, being like, uh, actually, no, like not necessarily. And we didn't really ask for you to be here. And like, you're kind of like, invading our stuff and we didn't really want you here and like Kira being openly like unwelcoming I think is a really cool place to be for mm-hmm. um for a series in general and for a, a Star Trek series it's like it does give the uh, outside look at the the nature of Starfleet and the nature of the Federation mm-hmm. I yeah I, I agree I also felt like a little bit confused about that just mm-hmm. because I, I didn't really fully understand why, um, I guess the Bajorans in particular, but maybe other folks as well, were so um, kind of unhappy about Starfleet showing up, you know, considering that um, they'd just gone through Cardassian occupation. And this seems like, I don't know, an improvement in, in a number of ways. And it just kind of makes me wonder about the, um, I guess, the reputation that, that Starfleet has mm. um, in this part of the galaxy and just sort of how people were we're viewing that. I don't think we really had maybe mm. as much of that sort of explicitly communicated as, as I would have liked. In this episode, yeah. Like the pilot is a pilot versus like the whole series. For sure. It's like, a very interesting oh. concept of how saviors can be viewed as saviors, but then if they stay on, that's They're not really it, saving, yeah. mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like, it, so yeah, I'll just leave it at that. The interesting thing as the series progresses, you can see that, okay, now Gold Dukat is a very interesting character, yeah, but Gold Dukat talks about himself as the protector of the Bajoran, you know, like they mm-hmm. were his children. Right. And, right. you know, so, so Kira, and I don't know that she thought that other Cardassians thought that, right. I think she's like, that's news to me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, big, oh, nasty, yeah. whatever. But, um, but 
the uh, she does have a line which i thought you know i thought it was an interesting perspective she's like you know we just got rid Mm -hmm. of one dominating force and now we have another let's face it a dominating force because so many different cultures and planets get Mm -hmm. absorbed into the federation Mm -hmm. so to someone who's just come out of being occupied it would make sense Mm -hmm. that they could see the federation as another occupying force they're a proxy state right they're a buffer state they're Mm -hmm. they're smacking between the federation like a protector so Mm -hmm. you can say you know ukraine there's so many examples of difficulties there right so Mm -hmm. yeah so um, we do need to take a break before we start talking about story and writing. So I wanted to ask before we do that, are there any other characters you'll want to just shine a light on briefly, the way that they were created um, or or their place in the show? I'd like to do 30 seconds on Picard because Emily brought that up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I also found there were certain aspects of this, this episode that didn't do justice to the entire series, as Diana was saying earlier. There were two or three things. One of them was the Quark-Cisco uh, conversation. But I think the, the Cisco-Picard conversation mm-hmm. was extremely interesting, especially for TNG fans, because it forced them to feel uncomfortable along with Picard. Mm-hmm. And I, that's the most uncomfortable I have seen him, right? And the way he just sort of dismisses Cisco and Cisco is being belligerent and emotional, but we know why. We kind of back him, but it's 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 kind of weird. That, that is very realistic. I feel mm-hmm. that whole setup there and the way he just sort of, you know... I've really appreciated Patrick Stewart's performance. In that. I, I don't love Avery Brooks as an actor all the time. Sometimes I like him a lot, and sometimes I'm like, meh, there's a little bit much there. And so, like, I think his voice is incredible, which is maybe one of the reasons why, like, he's such a, I, I, I go back to him all the time. But that that scene with Picard and with um, Cisco was incredible for, like, Patrick Stewart's performance of, like, re- recognizing how nasty and uncomfortable the situation was and understanding that there's, like, basically nothing that he could do to make it better. But then also, mm-hmm. like, trying to make the most of the situation. And then also, like, he is in command. And so he kind of does have to dictate to this person who clearly hates him for putting him through what he, whatever he put him through, even though Picard doesn't know all the details. Like, what, like that was such a, such a great scene for, like, watching Patrick, P- Patrick Stewart make the most out of any, any scene in any situation. Um, and so I, I loved that, like that, just the, the, the time that we get to spend with Picard and with Cisco yeah. and on that, in that episode was really, really great. It was one of the highlights I think for me. Mm-hmm. Finally, I'll just say, I, I appreciate the decision to bring Miles O'Brien, who we saw yes. an encounter at Farpoint. Yeah. I yeah. did not know that he was in the first episode yeah. of TNG. <laughs> Clearly too talented of a character as Cole Meany would go on to demonstrate other things too mm-hmm. to be left behind in the transporter room so I'm glad yeah. that he uh, although it's kind of funny that they're like this was your favorite transporter room <laughs> like, they're it? all the same <laughs> they all look the same to me uh, but anyway anyway best, best thing that happened to Starfleet right that's what Lord X uh, that's right him that's as. right and then they, I think they interviewed him about that and he was thrilled like, I mean I, I think in the last year or so Mm-hmm. And did you know that Lord X did this? And he was like, well, it's about time or something. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a break right here. We'll come back and talk more about Emissary. Not the Emissary. Emissary. <laughs> the Emissary is an episode of The Next Generation. All right. See you in a second. We do have one advantage. The monks have been studying these things for 10,000 years. I've had our computers set up to interface with their historical databanks. That should give us something. Soon as possible, Dax. The eight other orbs are probably in some Cardassian laboratory being turned upside down and inside out. Benjamin, I was happy when I heard you accepted this assignment. I'd been worried about you. It's good to see you too. 
old man. Welcome back to Strange New Takes. We've decided to talk about the emissary instead now. So Kalir as a character, pretty <laughs> no, great, listen, huh? Listen, Notch, Notch, you're, you're in the wrong place, man. Stop it. Okay, all right, back, back to emissary. Uh, we're now going to talk about the episode. We've talked about how the show was made. We've talked about the characters. Now it's time to talk about the story, the writing, like what we thought about it. And then we'll move on to talking about a little bit about the production after we're done with that. So I'll start us off with the episode summary from, from Memory Alpha. Three years after his wife died at the hands of the Borg and following the Cardassian withdrawal from the planet Bajor, Commander Benjamin Sisko and a new crew of Starfleet and Bajoran officers take command of an abandoned Cardassian space station and make an incredible discovery that'll change the galaxy and Sisko's future. Boo, boo, boo. Coming up at 9 o'clock. <laughs> UPN 38. <laughs> so, okay. So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm gonna. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna be the first who's gonna start because it's me. Are course. you the one who added those two next points? Yes. This is, the, this is me. Okay. <laughs> we might have a fight about this, but I want to establish first of all that there are things that I really do appreciate about this episode that make it a really rich pilot. First of all, I think that the setup for this story is great. Right. Putting it on the space station, making it more serialized, talking it about talking about um, uh, the Bajoran Cardassian like uh, occupation colonialism. Like I think it was it's great. I think there are a lot of really good great things about this episode, and introducing a wide cast of characters who are different and have different experiences, who are ultimately not very well drawn in this particular episode, but it moves on to becoming a much greater ensemble. So the 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 the. the uh, the potential is there to make a really great, more ensemble-based cast and show. So I, I really appreciate that, and I really love the, the scenes, like I, the ones that I mentioned with Picard and with Cisco, and then also the scenes on the bridge where Kira and Dax and O'Brien and Bashir are trying to figure out how to work together to get to move the station. I think those are that's like my favorite scene of all time. Those mm-hmm. are my favorite scenes in this episode. My problem with this episode is the characterization as it's presented to us, and I'm going to use an unfair, um, sort of unfair comparison with the TNG episode, Encounter at Farpoint, and the direction. Because I think the direction is maybe the worst culprit out of all of this, but the characterization in this episode is primarily done through direct exposition. So with, with um, Cisco, it's not quite a direct exposition because we like learn mostly about him from the, the cold open, but then we only learn that Cisco has doubts about his command because he directly tells Picard about it. We have never, we don't have any other clues whatsoever that he's not feeling super great about the command. Kira yells all of her exposition directly into Cisco's face, right? Odo directly tells Kira his reasons for going with them on the mission. Bashir directly tells Kira why he's on the, why he's on the ship, right? Like Dax directly tells us how she became Jedzia Dax, right? Like, and there is a, a flashback for her, which does help, but we already know about it because we already were told about it. And so if we're talking about like characterization, what TNG's pilot episode did really well is that we learned a lot about the characters through um, context and through the way that they were talking to each other. Now, there wasn't as much maybe to, to get as for groundwork. And there obviously is growth for these characters as well in the future for TNG, but we are explicitly told immediately who each of these characters are, not because of the way that they're presented to us through their actions or through the way that they talk to each other, but literally through, here's my motivation and I'm going to tell it to you directly. And I hate that. <laughs> I really, really, really hate that. And it's actually, it's, very, it's really shallow writing, which is not great. And as a pilot, it made it really like, I, I didn't really feel like I needed to get to know these characters more, even though I love these characters and I love watching them and I've seen this entire series. From the strength of this pilot, I wouldn't be like, oh, I wonder what this character's motivation is. 
I wonder what her backstory is because I already know it because she literally told me the first time that we saw it, she yelled it into the camera and we we don't need to know anymore because that's basically her entire story. And like that bothers me from a writing standpoint. And the direction is bad too. The direction is just really can't be in bad. It's like an episode of Power Rangers, but like the writing is the worst part. The writing is the worst. Yeah, what's up? The director of this episode was the same person who directed Star Trek Generations. Really? Well, uh, yeah, I just uh, looked, I rolled up. I was like, wait, I know who, that who name. Is anyway, that? Who, who is David it? David Carson. Hmm. Okay. I just know I recognized the name and I was like, I think he de- he directed Generations and I, I mean, went like, and looked it up. The, so, think about the, the scene between Quark and Odo and Cisco where Cisco's like trying to like manipulate Quark into being like the community like community leader or whatever and he says like you're going to be a community leader to uh, Quark and Quark just goes ha, ha 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 and he's a good actor too and he's making this horrible acting choice because of the direction like you can see it in the see- in the episode and I hate I hate it and so there are things about this episode that I love and there's a lot of things about the show that I love but man the writing and the direction really are not good really 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 not good in some places I think that that explicitness actually helps because it's it's defying the norm like going back to the Bashir Kira conversation where she's like so yeah you're you're here to save us but this is our home I, I think there are things about every every conversation that are worth saving so i'm not going to say like every piece of dialogue is Got trash it. but Got there it. are the, but the, the other areas i don't disagree i don't disagree yeah. the other areas i i also like it, it reveals a lot um i get honestly i get a little lost in the whole um orb uh beach thing yeah, for yeah. a while and i come in to watch sci-fi and i'm i'm, I'm trying to connect it at a spiritual level and kind of makes sense but i think they spend a little too much time there mm-hmm. um i remember notch telling me I, I watched a few more episodes of the first season i remember notch telling me hey rudy you will like some political stuff that starts coming mm-hmm. in in the later seasons so just just watch it a little <laughs> more hang in there um <laughs> Yeah, you know, I I want to I want to oh. make a point. So I um, I I agree that it's much more explicit and it's ex- exposition oriented um characterization. Fully like agree with that. And I typically also have trouble with that. Um, but for some reason it just didn't bother me in this one. Um, for for a lot of them, and that's I mean it's it's fair, right? It's different reactions. Um, I think with Cisco in particular. I actually had a completely different reaction to the fact that only Picard knows that he wants to leave. And which is that I thought that that was a lot of professionalism on the part of a military officer, which with Burnham, it bugged me that everyone could be like, you don't want to be here right now. Like you, like she was just like, I've changed, I've changed. I want to leave all through last season. Mm. And it just bothered me that this officer couldn't just be like, yo, you got a job to do. You got to do it. So I hear you. And so with Cisco, I felt like he was just, doing his job and it wouldn't help anybody if he was like i'm mopey and i don't want to be here and he's I, yeah, I do yeah, so. i do but i think there's a there are there are avenues for even like non-verbal direction or non-verbal acting that can help us understand and it's because it's really important and the, the one of the things one of the reasons why I'm, i sort of hammer on this is because it taken one way it could be cisco being really professional and saying like i'm gonna give this my, my misgivings to my commanding officer or whatever but another way, like Picard is the only person that Cisco is really not interested in being vulnerable with for a second. And he is the only person that he admits any doubts about his command to as well. And it just, it rung super wrong for me on a lot of levels. One is a directing level. One is a writing level. So I, think, I feel I think that's that. A, 
rank thing oh. also, right? Sorry, go ahead. I'm just well, saying no, it's a military rank thing on who you reveal what to and you're Sure. You're, no, I, I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm not against that as an argument, but I it just, it just, it like, if we're going to, if we're going to focus on that one piece of what I'm saying, like there are reasons potentially for him to talk to Picard about it, but also like there is a lot one huge reason why he would not reveal any misgivings to Picard specifically I because he clearly disagree. blames her, blames him for Jennifer's death. I disagree. I think this is the first time I'm going to swear on this podcast. <laughs> I think I think Zisco had zero fucks to give about what Picard thought. Potentially, and he's yeah. like, "You fucking ruined my life. You are the reason my wife is dead, and my mm-hmm. son does not have a mother." I don't really care what you think of me. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here and I'm going to tell it to you because I can't believe I have to stand in this room and look at you. You make me sick. Okay. So yeah, that's what, yeah. that's why I think he mm-hmm. was able to say that. Sorry. I had an emotional reaction. No, I think he's comfortable I think he, saying that to Picard, right? Like, I mean, that, in the sense I, that yeah. he could, he could have been, he could have been ejected and dismissed just from the station at that point. Like mm-hmm. he did not, it was not appropriate at that point in time for him to bring it up. It, I, I think there's some moral high ground that Picard can can capture by not like falling apart because there's 50 other Cisco's that lost their, lost their families, right? Mm-hmm. Wolf 359 was a disaster, right? Yeah. Um, so I think he was just, he was being candid with the person who's given him the job. Like, hey, I'm not going to be here longer. But while I'm here... I'm not going to make anyone feel like I'm one foot out the door, right? Right. And so- I think he I think he also um wanted to I, I think in some ways I almost think it was a dare mm. like so to Picard. You know like okay, you know this about me. What are you going to do? Are you really going to take me off this assignment mm-hmm. right now? Mm-hmm. Well, you know like yeah. like are you really are you going to do something else that's going to screw my career? Are you gonna, I don't know. I just I feel like there was just so much emotion that was driving his interaction with Picard. I think maybe if it had been another if it had been an admiral that he was talking to, I don't know that he would have said that. Like mm-hmm. I think maybe Dinah what you're saying, I think it would have been the case had it been another captain that he was talking to or another admiral, he wouldn't have he wouldn't have necessarily played his or showed his mm-hmm. hand that way. But um I actually did see it felt to me there were there were a few different scenes where Cisco gets ready to walk into the next place and you see him kind of set himself mm-hmm. before he walks in. So I felt like that did kind of communicate to me that that he was going through some stuff while he was um, in the midst of having to um, uh, to do this job, you know? Mm-hmm. But so anyway, I felt like there actually were some little subtle hints that they gave us. Because we, of course, knew this backstory, right? We right. know yeah, what he's wrestling with. Um, and we know that this is his first big assignment. Yeah. Since, it's, it's, it's definitely possible if, if like, I had not been bothered by all the direct exposition beforehand. Like this one example would not have bothered mm-hmm. me the same way, but like mm-hmm. that, that, that doesn't take off the table, like all the other pl- times. Cause I completely understand where you're coming from, Emily. And I think it makes a lot of sense. So like, I will accept that as definitely as a strong counterpoint, mm-hmm. but like every other time it's like, here is my exact motivation for being my character. And here's all I need. And it's like, I don't love that. And I think that's repetitive and it happens the, in every single character we meet, we get that same treatment every single time. Like, Goldie Caught walking in, like, that used to be my desk. I miss my office. This used to be my, everything was mine. And you're like, yeah, you're right, man. Like, I've learned that. And you like, come like come on, man. It's, it's just like every, every single character, we get that same treatment. It's not nuanced and it's not good writing. Like, fundamentally, it's not good writing. I mean, I, I certainly accept your, your reaction to that. I just didn't have any of those issues. And like, <laughs> I, like it's, it's, I think it's just a fundamentally different, like, um, 
kind of j- just just sense of of how you want to learn about these characters and i i think one of the things that i see as maybe influencing my reaction maybe is that i haven't seen deep space nine in a really really long time like the last ds9 episode i watched well it was the the one with the um that we did in the moral dilemma yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. but past tense but that didn't really have a ton of character related stuff and it 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 just it was goes a different it, kind of episode. Yeah, it, it's it's focused on the story. And I think the last time I had watched Deep Space Nine prior to that must have been like over a decade prior. So mm-hmm. I wasn't oh. coming in with any priors on these characters. And for me, just personally, I'm not saying that you were or weren't. For me, coming in with a blank slate on these folks to get a baseline kind of helped. Whereas in the TNG pilot, I feel like with War, for example, we know absolutely nothing about him by the end of that episode. And it didn't make me care about Worf at all. For me, with these characters, because they tell us who they are and what they're doing, and sure, there might have been other ways to have that happen in a more like less clumsy way, perhaps. But it didn't bother me because at the end of this episode, I was like, okay, I get who all the where all the pieces are on the chessboard. And now I want to see what moves they make. Unfortunately, it becomes literally a chessboard and they're singing, Alamarine, one, two, three, whatever the Don't. hell happened. <laughs> And we don't need, and that, no, 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 move along home. No. It's a terrible episode. <laughs> there are people who like it out there, and I do not understand them. It's but different. Anyway, so it's just a different reaction. And I think it's, it's you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, I think that's one of the beauties of this pod, right? Like we get to, we get to have different reactions and, and approach this in, in a different way. I think one of the things that I, I will say is that, the Deep Space Nine pilot, at least out of the ones that we've seen so far, I feel like the characters are, we see them do an about face of themselves a little bit less than other yes, pilots. I agree. Like Data smiling, like that kind of thing, um, or or Spock becoming just, uh, you know, a completely different character by the end. They, not because of growth, just because they had write the character differently. I feel like these characters maintain some degree of consistency between this episode and going forward through the series we learn a lot more about them they become much more fully fleshed out but i think that there's less that the producers left left out or wanted to change later on and i wanted to see if that was something that y'all felt or didn't feel at all having watched more deep space nine i was gonna say that exactly because that was one of the things i felt really strongly with next generation's Mm -hmm. pilot I was like, oh, wow, they decided they needed to do Deanna Troy differently after they watched this pilot. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or Picard just was such a jerk, like, which is funny that he kind of is more of a jerk in Picard, like the series Picard. But um, but to kind of understand all that. and But yeah, I mean, like, and, and um, Riker, it was funny. I was watching, I don't know if any of you watched any of the First Contact Day uh, panels, uh, but like Riker was talking about how he was given the direction for the first two or three years of Next Generation to never smile. Like Riker was never to smile. Wow. And um, he and he's like, that's so weird. You know, but it was like, there, so they, because they had this kind of character that they wanted him to be. And so, and and Data definitely, you know, Data's not like so like, I am an android all the time. I am going to say this. Ooh, compute. Blah, blah, blah. Like, like he's so, you know, like, they it felt really odd to watch them in um encounter at farpoint mm. but watching the deep space 9 characters in emissary it didn't feel odd like i mean yes i know there's more development that happens but yeah they didn't it didn't feel like oh wow they really didn't know what they were doing with this character the character that changes the most honestly is bashir mm-hmm. yeah um, i i, I so that was the one that felt yeah. the most weird yeah yeah i i agree um i think 
I think that actually the two, I would say Bashir, number one, um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting. We were talking about, like, obviously, sort of the um, the Western as an inspiration for this series. And, um, you know, I, I enjoy Westerns. I, I like that as as kind of a, a template for, for a show or for a series. But I do think that, um, you know, if we're talking about writing, performance, all that, um, it felt a little ham-fisted with, with Bashir in particular. To me, mm-hmm. it felt a little on the nose with the, you know, like, I'm a frontier doctor, you know. Mm-hmm. Where can I go uh, test out my my six shooter phaser? You know, like some of those mm-hmm. lines are just like this. This is not necessary. And I think they they kind of tone they tone that down as the series goes along. I think the other character I'd mention is um, Kira. Mm-hmm. I think you know, like in essence, she does not really change too much. But mm-hmm. I think her um, I don't know if it's the writing or just the performance, but um, you know, I think in this episode she she came across as you know very intense, very um, angry, you know, I think understandably. And I think she she maintains that to some degree, but I think she picks up a little bit more of this like um, professionalism and like almost like menace as as the series goes on. She's like a consummate badass basically mm-hmm. um as mm-hmm. we kind of go through the series and um i think the way that they portray that feels a little bit different in later episodes than this one mm-hmm. they even changed the way they did it in this episode no though. halfway I found through this episode mm-hmm. I agree yes with you. exactly because yeah. like the like, first part i was like what are you wow she's really abrasive it was, yeah, a lot yeah. it was it was like it was like they they, they were like she's and she's an angry character but she's like a strong lady and we're, we're gonna know she's a strong lady by <laughs> oh. her yelling at people yeah. and then halfway through she, and like after that scene even at the end of that scene where she first like like introduced herself to Cisco and was like I don't even like need you guys to be here and this sucks and everything she like calms down almost immediately and then is like letting Cisco into the the background of of like break ins on the ship and then so she's like I hate you get out of here blah 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 also we've had a lot of break ins in the ship and it's actually pretty common and like I'd like you to come with me <laughs> it's like oh okay and then it becomes a lot more like the curious that what we recognize after they catch um oh my god nog nog thank you nog. i was like quark, quark jr that's not right um after they catch Wrong nog, junior. She, <laughs> that's true who's not um, named in this episode by the way oh, that's true, that's right. so he- after they catch nog um she is a lot more like the the, the sort of sardonic but natural kira and i think one of the best mm-hmm. things about that actor is in, in general is that she can be really natural and really like candid and like you can feel like she's having a real conversation with people and she's so the she, best crier oh my oh, gosh she's so good it's so incredible but like it, it like halfway through just leans into her strength and then the next scene with cisco like she's still angry she still has an edge to her but she's also like not screaming down the face of the camera and it's just like this this, this episode did not understand what they were doing with kira until like halfway through the first scene with her and they're like okay she's she's cool now and you're like oh okay oh, oh, oh and wow. one more thing i want to throw out here is um you know so there's the aspect of like how much do the characters change mm-hmm. over the course of the series there's also the issue of like how much does the ensemble of yes. the characters change and i think it's really important to mention that there are some characters who are not in this episode mm-hmm. and yeah. in particular i'm thinking about garrick and Worf, yep. and i think that deep space nine mm-hmm. hugely benefits from those two characters yes. coming in later on in fact i think like Worf showing up is like when the series hits its stride mm-hmm. um and garrick obviously is maybe even even better than than Worf and so I think awesome. you need those two so people in the mix um yeah. to kind of complete the the ensemble and I think for this this episode did not really know what they were going to do with with Dax I'm sorry not I know but like but I think with Dax like didn't necessarily need didn't have an really drawn drawn character 
She didn't seem mischievous the way that she seems in later episodes. She didn't seem like she actually even knew Cisco, even though they had this backstory with the with her, uh, Curzon and, and Cisco. So, like, part of it's performance. Part of that might be direction. But then also, I think some of it, like, is just basic writing where it's like, what? What is what is Dax and who is Dax and what does she bring to this particular ensemble? And it does, it's not really well uh, explored. But that, to that end, she doesn't change that much because she didn't have this like one character and then completely do a 180. She's kind of a blank slate in this episode and then has a character later. So, you know, not beautiful, a huge 180. Beautiful science person who is also an old man. And that's what we take. There we go. I mean, that's I, me too, right? I, I really feel... Um, hey, give, me, give me one second, Rudy. I'm going to interrupt because it's relevant to just this. So one of the things that they talked about in the documentary, there should be like a ding <laughs> drink. Uh, but uh, one of the things that they talked about, Terry Farrell talked about actually, is that she, when she came in, was uh, felt very inexperienced as an actor mm-hmm. and was acting with Avery Brooks. And Avery Brooks was treating her with this like intensity because of like showing the friendship between him and Dax mm-hmm. in, in a very different way. Yeah. And she was just like, I don't know what to do with this intensity and like <laughs> stuff. So she talked to Avery Brooks. And so that's where his kind of like the, the twinkle in his eye when mm-hmm. he's talking to Dax that's where it comes from is when she talked to him about it and it's also worth mentioning she came in on the 12th day of filming like she hadn't uh been filming with them before so she came in late uh as as a character uh to join the ensemble just a couple of interesting facts since you mentioned their Mm -hmm. conversation but Mm -hmm. Rudy you were saying something yeah I was saying that the I mean Max is reading my mind there and we have some kind of mind meld going on there but um not introducing Garrick in the pilot I mean, I, I, if I rank my best characters across all series, the top two would be the Doctor and Garrick, mm-hmm. um, Doctor from Voyager and Garrick. Um, and the way they expose Garrick in, in, in the rest of the season and the uh, remaining seasons is essentially that that thing that you say Diana is missing is, you know, peeling off the layers mm-hmm. and trying to discover who is he really? Which side is he on? Mm-hmm. Does he have his own side, right? I, I think doing that in the pilot may have been good. Um, but, but they change, they turn it around, right? Like he comes in, I think in the next episode itself, like I think with with the dearest sisters or something Mm -hmm. like that, but I really missed him in this pilot. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hey, I also think it's important for us to mention that one of the characters grew the most. In fact, he had seven years of growth was Jake Sisko. (laughs) I mean, he he started out like what? A solid four foot five and he ended up being like seven foot two. It was was a much bigger character by the end of of the his little overalls that had no reason to be off of his shoulder. And he was like, I'm just wearing my overalls off my shoulder. I'm like, you're cute, man. You're a cute kid. <laughs> These markings on one of the pylons to gauge his height. Can we talk about Cisco when he, when he realizes he's with Jennifer doing the Michael Jackson? Ow! And yeah. it was so they're close talking. They're just like, I'm going to be your husband. Like, bro, you know that she doesn't know you. You are back in the memory. You've acknowledged it. Dude, leave her alone. There is a scene in Next Generation where where uh, Jordy makes the exact same sound. Oh, is there <laughs> really? Wow. Yes. It's oh in the first season, too, like where he figures something out and he goes, ow! Something, and I'm like, what? What's happening? <laughs> I mean, I gotta. I also love love how Jennifer can like rehook her her bikini behind her back and not have anybody notice it. Did you see that? She was like holding her bikini top up because she was tanning. 
And then she's like, cool. And then, like, the next shot, it's it's just refastened. Like, that's Skills. magic. Look at you. I'm proud of you. There's just like there are no toilets on uh, Star Trek, there's no bra straps uh, no. Or, or clasps. There, but there as canonically well. was a bra strap, and then it was on. Track <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, also, did, did you all notice the like weird swimsuits in the, yes. of the extras behind Cisco and Jennifer yeah. as well? We have a lot to look forward to. The oh, future, future is bright. It's Those now. space swimsuits. Oh, man. I mean, I liked his beach vest. I thought that was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that we can, we can uh, move on to, to discussing, perhaps, is, is the way that the, the wormhole aliens, and maybe, maybe even just the, the introduction of the wormhole itself. I, for some reason, did not remember that they had introduced the wormhole in the Gamma Quadrant this early in mm-hmm. Deep Space Nine. I... I for some reason, I was like, "Oh yeah, they go like a season or two before they discover mm-hmm. this thing," but it's it's right there, and the the prophets are right there. Totally. Um, and I, w- one of the ways that I, I'm gonna kind of merge this segment now with our production segment because that's where this is in the notes. This was actually a direct line from Encounter at Farpoint. Michael Pillar took the kind of philosophical elements of I knew it of, I knew of it. Encounter at Farpoint. I just hit something that made it. <laughs> Is the spring on my mic, but anyway, uh, he took the 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 what is humanity all about? Mm-hmm. It's puzzle time. It's puzzle time. Element of encounter at Farpoint, and basically made that part of this as well, where where the aliens are trying to un- understand Cisco. I I don't know. I kind of enjoyed the 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 way that you know the the it goes to the different pieces of his memory. I mm. I I chafed on the direction like you did, but like I th- I I thought it was a kind of a interesting way in terms of like sci-fi TV. Like it was kind of cool. Like oh crap, different people in his memory are talking to him, and they're the aliens. Like ah, it was it was I I liked it for a sci-fi concept. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, for people who are familiar were unfamiliar with Ronald D. Moore, this is a thing that he definitely does in later uh, shows that he runs. So Battlestar Galactica definitely has a lot of this similar kind of, of theme, and Outlander has less so, but it's definitely like there's there's the, the sci-fi, you know, natu- uh, um, uh, theological metaphysical aspect to it um, here too. And an important note is that I think Ronald D. Moore is, is either Catholic or he was raised Catholic, and so there's a lot of that imagery going on in a lot of the stuff that he he creates. Um, and I, so I feel like if I had not seen Encounter at Farpoint so recently, I probably would have been like, this is, I'm chill with this. But because I just, we just seen Encounter at Farpoint, I was like, oh, it's a Q episode. <laughs> so then like, I was like, oh, like, I know where this is coming from. So I felt a little bit less like ready to be, to, to just be in it. I was like, this seems like this comes from a place that we just saw. And so I think the, 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 the choice though, to make the prophets, um, people in, Cisco's life and have that continue through the through the show. I thought was a really is a really good choice and does make it a little bit more compelling to watch him discuss these metaphysical points. It is a little bit for me like X Files where you have the alien episodes and then you have the supernatural episodes and like you either have a preference for the alien episodes or for the monster episodes and there's like sort of no in between. Like for for TN Deep Space Nine, you either have a preference for like the non emissary prophet wormhole alien with orbs episodes or you. Do, you distinctly do not have a, pro- a preference for those, and I I fall into the latter camp. I really don't love the prophets episodes, and so to have that be the entire first like pilot, I was like, all right, I can get into this, man. Okay, I can do it, but like this is not the the preference that I have ultimately, and so it kind of introduced a lot of the storylines that I care less about, even though I love the characters ultimately. So there was a little bit of that, but like having if I had not seen this show beforehand, I would not have 
had that reaction to watching this episode on its own, if that makes sense. I felt the same way, though. I feel there's, since Nash also brought up the wormhole, I think it's the first time outside of, like, actual planets and systems there's a there's a strategic resource mm-hmm. that is being brought up as a contention point. They they, they bring, bring up the concept of a buffer state as well in terms of Bajor and Bajoran territory, and then you have mm-hmm. a wormhole there, and somebody's trying to, you know, land grab. It's almost like who gets to the oil first. So that that part's good. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it drives the rest of the series, right? So so that was interesting. But again, you know, there, later on in the series, there's like 2,000, um, uh, I forget the species, the 2,000 Dominion ships like disappear in the, mm-hmm. in the wormhole. Was, mm-hmm. It just pivoted the plot suddenly, which is kind of strange for me. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I like the strategic resource aspect. The, the, the mm. last time they brought up a wormhole as a strategic resource was that it's called the Barzan wormhole where they were trying to bid for it in TNG mm-hmm. where the two Ferengi get lost in in the, I think in the Gamma Quadrant, I don't know, mm-hmm. but I think they touched upon it a couple of years ago or like this is uh, in, in before the 90s. So it's good that they got that back and they locked onto wormholes as a strategic resource energy mm-hmm. and Everything is not yet solved for. There are still things that people and species want to go get, right? Um, and, you know, that the wormhole is one of them, right? Mm-hmm. Stable wormhole. Yeah, I maybe maybe this is the opening where we discuss the element of religion in this pilot and maybe even going forward into Deep Space Nine because that's so much bigger of a element in this. And, of course, this is the only time Ronald D. Moore has introduced elements of religion and the supernatural into television. He's never done mm-hmm. that again in the future because um, that would have yeah, ruined the, the ending of what show time. that I really like. And so he never did it again. Um, anyway, uh, so, so. It's fine, it's fine. It's we need fine. to play the uh, <laughs> Starbuck is not an angel. Okay. Um, it's fine. It's everything's cool. <laughs> right. But I, I think that thinking about the future of Deep Space Nine, it is one of the most interesting elements of this show that the Bajorans are such a religious mm-hmm. people and religion. And it's not just, oh, the Federation and the Klingons hate each other and the Klingons have honor. It's more like there's mm-hmm. this other element that everybody has to grapple with. Mm-hmm. And it's such an interesting, um, it adds such an interesting element to the Bajoran society. So I'm really glad that this show did it. Again, I didn't remember that they had introduced it this early though. Yeah. I, think, I what, think that it's so. Well, I was just gonna say they treat religion so much better in Deep Space Nine than they yes. do in any of the other, yeah. mm-hmm. or at least the previous iterations. Any of the episodes that touch on religion in original mm-hmm. series and in Next Generation, it's just you can just tell it's humanists who hate religion, right? And they just want to do it as a to make fun of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like they do it. They treat it like Bill Maher treats religion. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like a straw. It's like creating a straw man that you can just beat down, you know, and you right, don't have exactly, to. Right. There's like no and, respect for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Right. And it's like, well, I, you know, even though I am a minister, I will be the first to tell you there are a heck of a lot of religious leaders that we don't need to respect that <laughs> make terrible decisions and do awful things, but that's not the entirety of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like, and, and that's the great thing about Deep space nine, right. not, they don't do it so much in this episode, obviously they just kind of touch on it. You know, it's going to be a feature, but they do such a good job of having the whole spectrum of, you know, good and bad religion, religion used for good religion used mm-hmm. for, for bad, Absolutely. the way it's, 
twisted and and you know tried to be used to, as a power grab or whatever anyway so it's really i like that aspect of it totally i and think the, what we see so i'm sorry what we see in a lot of these a lot of the cultures that we meet on star trek is that they have one thing it's kind of what notch was talking about like uh, klingons you got honor and like we do learn more about like klingon ways and klingon customs and stuff over the course we, we they're one of the um, alien species that we spend the most time with but it's really nice to have a complicated species with a real serious history and also a social hierarchy and also a, a complex political system represented in a show and then have that be like a fundamentally important alien like a fundamentally important species and culture that we see over and over and over again and that's i really appreciate that about the bajorans and like i appreciate that about what we how we are introduced to kira because kira is like I mean, obviously, Kira's a lot of things. She's a, she's a terrorist, but she's also a, a clear leader, and she's also incredibly intelligent. And so to have her be like, religion is incredibly important to me, and have her be a main character, it really does, as Emily said, like put the 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 emphasis on the really important cultural and human human aspects of religion, and not a way that's going to be t- like sp- built up to tear it down. And so that's a really cool. I love that. I think that's really cool about the show. And it's all about like you know. As a people, right, when, when when a civilization goes through oppression over decades and decades and decades when people don't have much to hold on to, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm even going to keep religion aside and say general faith is sometimes what people just have to hold on to. And I think they connect that nicely with the Bajorans. And you brought up the Kira point. Um, she deals with that duality through the rest of the series in terms mm-hmm. of looking at um, Cisco as as a boss, as a military boss, as a representative of the Federation, but at mm-hmm. the same time, he is the emissary. And mm-hmm. at some point, she kind of rationalizes both. But mm-hmm. she's discovering herself, and we're discovering all of that. And I agree mm-hmm. with Emily completely. That's that's a really nice way to introduce and, and, and give respect to faith, not even so much religion. Mm-hmm. This reminds me, to so as I was watching it, you know, I'm thinking that obviously the whole point is going to be like, they don't crown him emissary, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but, you know, like, like there's going to be this deal made at mm-hmm. the end of the episode mm-hmm. about him being the emissary, but there's not like, I don't think there no, is. No. Yeah. And cause I was trying to think when is the first time that Kira has that realization? It doesn't happen in this episode, No, no. Yeah. but, but I mean, that does become something. So even that's, I mean, that's how they're showing right off the bat, how this show is going to be more serialized. You know, they're just they've kind of planted some seeds and, mm-hmm. and those threads are going to be picked up uh, totally. later episodes. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I will just say, so I, I agree. I, um, I like the way that this show handles religion. Um, I think better maybe than other Star Trek series do. And I, I would say probably better than other Ronald D Moore mm-hmm. shows do. Um, <laughs> however, I, I do, I do not really love this idea of, um, kind of this like outsider or, or foreigner mm-hmm. turning up yeah. and like suddenly becoming the prophet or the, mm-hmm. you know, the savior um, of, of the Bajorans. Yeah. I feel like that rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is kind of zooming ahead to kind of the, the conclusion mm-hmm. of the series, but I do feel like um, at the end, I feel like the religious stuff does get a little heavy handed and it gets a little too like concrete, you know, you're like literally, in like hell in the fire caves and you're literally like shooting like spirit lasers at each other to determine like which god is gonna win and it's like i don't i don't know about that Um, yeah yeah. i mean i 
in retrospect, I should have known what Battlestar Galactica was becoming. <laughs> like, yeah, if I had just yeah. watched more DS9, There's I would have. You would have known. There's yeah. some episode of DS9 that literally just is the the, the chief's um, hallucination from one of the planets in Battlestar Galactica, and I was like, I have just seen this scene before. Like, this is a <laughs> this is a copy paste job. All right, thanks, y'all. Thank See you guys ya. so much. Bye Thank bye. you. Bye. 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 All right, let's keep going. I think we're pretty close yeah. to the end, y'all. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's see here. Where was I? One other quick thing I wanted to point out was, I don't know if you'll notice, but the promenade was supposed to be a mall. <laughs> and I think they did a better job of hiding that than they did at Farpoint. So speaking of the similarities with Farpoint, um, mm. there's that. Um, and there's... Uh, I guess I guess maybe this is time to reflect a little bit briefly on the rest of DS9. We've talked about it a little bit already, but I I really I I struggled after watching this pilot because it brought up a lot of mixed feelings in how I view my ratings of the different series. And I've mentioned before how I felt kind of persecuted by Deep Space Nine fans as a Voyager fan, but I'm slowly coming around to the idea that it's a superior show and that really hurts my like <laughs> Thor Trekkie like heart and I don't know how to deal with that I have rationalized it to myself by saying that they are very different environments and they they go after different parts of the Star Trek universe and how characters and people within Star Trek um, operate in, in those in those parts right um I will agree. I have also started. Maybe it's just this podcast. There are certain nuanced uh, writing and um, directing aspects that are, are just better. I was also looking at ratings. I don't know how many more episodes we will do of, of Trek that has already been. I am not able to find an episode yet that's gonna that's that's better than the one that all of us rated ten on ten. Is that was that in the pale moonlight? Is that is that the one? Yeah. I'm looking at the spreadsheet now, but I think, yeah, In the Pale Moonlight is perfect rating. Yeah, so that's that's the kind of, like, it, it really sets the tone that way. So, um, yeah, so also we're seeing DS9. A lot, of us, a lot of us saw DS9 after they saw TNG, maybe even after Voyager. So, um, I don't know. It's, uh, I've rationalized it to myself. I'm, I'm not comparing. Well, you know, it's funny. So I first, when I... I've watched lots of TNG. I didn't start watching TNG live, like when it was actually coming out until, again, I think it was season six or seven. And sadly, it was because a boy I liked was watching it. And so I started watching it. But I was very familiar with Star Trek because my mom loved Star Trek. And so we always had... Um, we always had TNG playing cause it was on at like seven o'clock every night on UPN. Right. So we were always, um, watching reruns of it, but it wasn't until I started watching season six or seven that I really would sit down and pay attention to every episode. And so Star Trek, the next generation, even though I had seen, I would have seen original series episodes here and there definitely was raised on the movies. Um, cause that's just the age I was, you know? So I went to the movie theater and saw uh, voyage home and saw, I don't think I saw Final Frontier in the movie theater, but I did see an undiscovered country in the movie theater. And, you know, so um, 
then I went back and, you know, I, I started watching, I kept, I, what Voyager was the first one I watched from beginning to end while it was, while it was running. But when I went back and watched Deep Space Nine, I was like, damn, this show is so good. And I felt guilty like you, cause I felt like I needed to have loyalty to the next generation because that was really what got me into Star Trek and loving Star Trek and why I watched Voyager because I loved the next generation. Right. You know, but as I was watching Deep Space Nine, I'm just like, it's just, it's so good. So that's why I always tell people, Oh, Deep Space Nine is my favorite series, but, but next generation holds a special place in my heart because it's the one that got me into Star Trek. But you know, I watched Voyager recently. It's, it actually is really good. Like a lot of people rip Voyager to shreds and I think that's not fair. Um, and I think Voyager gets better and better and better and better as the series goes. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't think season seven's very good. There were lots of strong, good episodes in season seven. So there were some things they did I didn't like. But um, but anyway, so I just think whatever Star Trek I'm watching is my favorite because I love Star Trek. Next week, we're going we, to... That's a good attitude. And I think I need to internalize it more. And I think next weekend, we're going to grapple with Voyager, obviously, because we'll yeah. be watching um, Caretaker. But yeah, I, I, it's, I think, just to come back to this pilot, I think a lot of why Deep Space Nine has this enduring appeal and why maybe many years later, folks like you, folks like me, were like, oh, Deep Space Nine is way better than I think is because they, it really had a lot of themes that would become very normal for American television in the future. I mean, we've talked a lot about it, the, the serialization, the darker tone, the kind of less like, uh, spaceship zooming through space and more like slice of life uh, exploration of interpersonal conflicts and and so I think it just has it's grown better and I think it's also got that appeal of basically allowing us in a, in a tone that today's television even wouldn't allow to explore things like terrorism and and very very complex issues um, of, of even, even of romance that like I, I don't, I think the innocence of that age in the 90s allowed them to portray those in a particular way that today would be questioned. Um, like, like just, just to, to take on the terrorism example, which I mentioned before, you couldn't, you couldn't have somebody be a terrorist and, and be one of the like lead characters in a beloved way like Kira is. You'd have to have them be like, a slight villainy kind of person. Uh, that would be the way that they were characterized. And I think Deep Space Nine has that kind of thing that they, they presaged a lot of what was happening today, but they were able to do it in that age. And I think that that's real special. Um, mm -hmm. And I will never be able to, I, I think the words would catch in my throat if someone asked me about my favorite track and I tried to say Deep Space Nine, even if it is, I can't, I can't. I, those, those people in the nineties on the Trek BBS, this is your fault. You did this. Okay, <laughs> you did this. All right, well, with that, just one piece of trivia I want to share, which is that uh, after uh, James Doohan appeared as Montgomery Scott on TNG's Relics, apparently that was, that was a very highly rated episode. People liked his appearance on Relics. And so he was, he was really like, oh, you know what? Maybe my shuttle can like come back and I'm a Deep Space Nine character. And he wanted to be a main character on Deep Space Nine. So did William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> interesting and so i i mean i it would have been nice if scotty was around like as a recurring character it'd been kind of cool actually but i just i don't know i uh that's funny i almost feel bad saying that they made the right choice there but yeah anyway did you notice that um rom was not rom in this episode he was the ferengi pit boss 
And I also, like, if you watch the next few episodes of Deep Space Nine, Rom is way different in the first. That is a character that they changed um, after his first few episodes. He's, yeah, anyway. But I just thought that was interesting because you see him there, but you don't recognize that that would be the father of Nog and the brother of Quark. Yeah, for sure. And it's, um, I, I actually did not recognize Max Gordonchek, who plays Rom in the documentary, because he, it's just like Andrew Robinson. Like you, you recognize the voice, but you don't recognize their faces because he looks uh-huh. so different. Armin Shimmerman at least has that same like kind of twinkle yeah. in him that you can you can catch. But it's um, it's yeah. very interesting. Uh, anyway, well, we can we can talk a lot more about Deep Space Nine, I think, because it's my favorite. <laughs> Okay, no, can't do it. Sorry. Uh, but let's let's give this episode a rating. Uh, as you may have noticed, Max and Diana had to had to step out a little while ago, and here's what they gave as a rating for this episode. All right. So I know I spent a lot of time talking about how much I don't like a lot of things about this episode, and I know that that might be upsetting, and I completely understand. I do love this show, and so I think the things about the show that I love are introduced in this episode, not to the way that I would love, but I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give it a 6 out of 10. Don't love it. Was not my favorite. Would not choose to watch this pilot again. But I love this show so much that I will watch the show again and again and again. So, 6 out of 10. That's for me. Yeah. Um, I I basically agree. I'm going to go 6.5 mm-hmm. out of 10. Um, what I really liked about this was how sort of like grounded in a specific place and time it was. You know, I love that mm-hmm. we started with wolf 359 mm-hmm. i love that that's kind of the the introduction to our main character and the lead in the show um i love that we have kind of the setting of bajor and the cardassian occupation ending um i think all that is just so much more interesting than like this ship is just you know out exploring the mm-hmm. galaxy like yeah. let's see what happens um you know there's so much more context to work with that being said i i felt that the the writing and the acting in general was a pretty mixed bag i think there was for sure good stuff going on here but it was not quite as consistent as um i would have liked and yeah um 6.5 out of 10 all right well emily rudy your strange new ratings for emissary not the emissary that comes later emissary uh we're st- who which of you wants to stick your necks out first and give this a rating i'll go or do you want to go emily no you go all right so there there were a lot of things that were um, good for me about this episode, I, I talked about introducing the polit- political complexities, the way certain characters um, had feelings about the Federation. I really liked the the rush, almost like an Indiana Jonesy kind of rush for the wormhole in, in securing it. Right, that part at the end. There were certain there were certain other parts that I did agree with Diana on, uh, but balancing it out across the board, I will give it eight celestial orbs out of 10 um, as as a pilot. Um, and it would intrigue me to watch more, primarily because I would be interested to see how the Cardassians would respond to, to the, the, the loss of the wormhole. So I would not have given it the rating I'm about to give it the first few times I've watched the pilot of Deep Space Nine. But because I can't help but give it the rating I'm about to give it because of the context of this pilot series that we are currently engaged on, I'm giving it a five out of five. I just 
think that I, I watched this. I mean, first of all, any pilot that's going to emotionally affect me the way that this one did when I watched it this time. I mean, I'm working out on the treadmill crying. So, I mean, this is some good stuff, right? So, um, I, I just, I was moved by it. I was compelled by Cisco's story. I was actually really compelled by Kira's story as well. I found Kira much more annoying when the other times I saw this pilot and she didn't bother me this time. And part of that is because I know her arc. And I think Kira actually is one of my favorite characters in Deep Space Nine. Um, I just, the, what they, what they did with her character, I just think was phenomenal. And she is an incredible actor. Um, and so, uh, yeah, but I just, I don't know. It, it made me want to watch the show. It made me care about the characters um, in a way, I did not care about the other characters in any of the other pilots so far. And so I'm just going to give it a five out of five. Yeah, I, I, I am with you. I had to really think long and hard about separating this episode from the other. So I, I like watched maybe the five best other episodes of Deep Space Nine uh, other than in the play of the Moonlight after this. And even when I do that, it's still really hard for me to 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 give this a low rating at all because I just I I liked it. I wanted to watch more. And that's what a pilot's supposed to do. This is Q Dina basically being like, hey, you said we weren't rating these as pilots. We were rating these as it. Standalone episodes. Remember, I said we can do whatever we want. I'm gonna do that right now. <laughs> and and give this an eight because it makes me want to watch the rest of the show. There's such, you know, Rudy talked about the international uh, relations kind of element to the show, the compelling characters, the setting. It's just I liked it. And um, I, I think I did not expect to give any of our pilots this higher rating. I thought I was going to be in the five and six range for all of them. And certainly this one just surprised the heck out of me, uh, after I finished watching. Cool. Well, with that, uh, it's time for me to, to call all of this to an end. So thank you, Emily. Thank you, Rudy, for being here. Thank you also to Max and Dinah, who are here for most of our show today. And, um, Thank you, Notch. Of course, of course. And uh, thank you Thanks. to Adam and Bill, wherever y'all are. I hope y'all are having a wonderful day. Thank you, listener, for being here as well. Thank you. <laughs> I, I mixed those two up. Thank you, Jishnu Guha, for recording our theme music. We, we really appreciate the, the Klingon theme played on a guitar that he did for us. And uh, just also want to want to say special thanks to that baseball player who showed up randomly in the middle of this episode. And you're like, when are they playing baseball? Like, why is there a baseball player here all of a sudden? <laughs> and it was just the most random. Like, did I watch that? What's that Kevin uh, Costner movie about? Field of Dreams. Like, is this? Did they? Did they like? Were they like? Oh yeah, Field of Dreams being produced next door. We can use their baseball field. <laughs> but maybe not. I don't know. Anyway, special thanks to that guy for just surprising me and making me wonder what was happening. All right, dear listener, we'll come back to you next week with Caretaker, pilot of Star Trek Voyager. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye.